Go ahead and grab a seat, guys. My name is Ricky. I'm one of the pastors that serves here. So good to be with you guys this morning. If you got a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Exodus 6. It's the second book of the Bible, so Genesis and then Exodus. And while you're turning there, just uh, want to share with you guys a story. It, it seemed so much like any other day. The heat was intense. The sun had been beating down for hours. He took a drink and he wiped the sweat off of his brow. It had been a long day. The sheep didn't really seem to cooperate very well that morning, but that was usual. But for the past few hours, he'd just been walking around. Not much of anything, just walking around under the sun. And this is what he did just day after day, being with these sheep. And then suddenly something catches his eye. He goes to take a closer look, and then he sees something, something that he had seen actually once before, but also it was something that he had never seen before. It was a bush that was on fire. That was normal, seen that hundreds of times. But also this bush, even though it was on fire, it wasn't being burned up, it wasn't being consumed. See, that was different. That was something new, something out of the ordinary, and while he's looking at this bush, he hears this voice that comes to him, Moses, Moses, here I am. You need to take off your sandals. Do not come any closer because the place where you are standing on is holy ground. I am the Lord your God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their slave masters. I know their sufferings. And because I've seen these sufferings, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen their oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You know, this is, this is from Exodus 3, when Moses... Or when God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush. And when we, when we think of the book of Exodus, that's what we tend to think about, right? We tend to think of the burning bush, or we tend to think of the ten plagues, or, or, or the people of God going through the Red Sea. And th those are all definitely part of the story and great, uh, great aspects of the story. But if we stop there, and if that's all we think about when we think about this book of Exodus, we're really missing the point. Because when we look at the book of Exodus, it's not just these things that are happening. We're actually seeing God. And we get to know this is God. This is who God is, his heart, and even just in how he acts and intervenes in the, into the people of Israel, that's actually us getting to know and to see him more. But we also get, a, get this question that gets answered to us a little bit more in the book of Exodus is, how big is our gospel? How big is our God? And what does it actually motivate the heart of God to actually intervene and to free and redeem people? And so with that, 
Go ahead and open up your uh, Bibles to Exodus 6. Exodus, again, it's the second book of the Bible. And we're starting this series called The Heart of God, and we're going through the first six books of the Bible. Anthony kicked it off last week, going through Genesis and talking about um, multiplication, looking at that theme. And with Exodus today, we're looking at the theme of freedom. Now, before we get into Exodus 6, let me just, and, and seeing what God promises that he will do, let me set the stage for you of what is happening. So back in the book of Genesis, uh, Joseph, he, um, his brothers sell him into slavery from the, land, from the promised land, the land of Canaan, and then he, he rises up in the land of Egypt and becomes a really prominent person, kind of the second in command. And then uh, his, his family moves down there because of a, of a famine. And they start to settle the land, and they start to multiply and have more kids. And what starts off as just kind of a few dozen people turns into hundreds of thousands of people, maybe even a couple of million. And, and things are fine for a while for them, but a new king comes in. You know, Joseph dies, and hundreds of years go by, and a new king comes in to, to Egypt, and he's harsh to the people of Israel. And now they're in slavery an exodus as God intervened to free his people. And so the first point is freedom from slavery. Freedom from slavery. And, and the text really draws out what kind of slavery they are experiencing. Um, and again, I, like for us to really look at this, you have to pay attention. Don't think that these are just mere details. Again, we're seeing God through the text. And so pay close attention to, uh, to, to this and what kind of slavery that they are experiencing. So they're experiencing political, economic, social, and spiritual slavery and oppression. And so first is political slavery. And you could see a lot of this, especially in chapter one. I encourage you to go back and read it. So um, the, the political slavery, the, again, the Israelites, they're these famine refugees. They're the ethnic minority. Joseph was at that power position. He died. And we see in uh, verse, or chapter one, verses eight through 10, that their numbers are growing, and because their numbers are growing, Pharaoh and the people are starting to be afraid of them. And so the, this, this minority group, even though that there's a lot of them, they have no political voice. They have no way to make any of their cases known. They are just oppressed, and they're enslaved. They're, they are experiencing political slavery. As we go on through chapter 1, uh, we also see economic slavery. So they're being exploited as, as a slave labor. And they're being, uh, so in, in verse, chapter 1, verses 11 through 14, it says, Therefore they set taskmasters task over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Okay, again, this is the real situation of what's going on. Verse 12, they were oppressed. Verse 13, they, uh, they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. Verse 14, and they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Again, the, the text is repeating this because this is important to the story. And so they are, they are experiencing this economic slavery and hardship. They, are, they don't own anything, but they are working everything for the, the benefit of those who do, for the king of Egypt. Social slavery, verses 15 through 16. Because their numbers are growing, Pharaoh, he tells the midwives, uh, you know, these people that would help others in, in birth, and he says, hey, when you're helping the women give birth, if it's a boy, uh, just kill him. Kill, kill that child. The midwives, they don't do what Pharaoh says. Um, and then uh, because of that, then, then Pharaoh issues just kind of a statewide genocide. 
And he tells the whole land of Egypt, hey, if you see any of the Hebrew women giving birth, any of them, and it's a boy, throw that boy into the Nile and, and kill him. Right? I mean, think about this. I mean, this is real people, real emotions. And think about this. If you're this mom and, and you have nine months that you're in, in uh, you know, being pregnant and all of that, this is supposed to be this exciting time. Man, God has given me this life inside of me. I'm going to have a kid. This is great. But in the back of your mind, you are absolutely just in terror. Because if on that day somebody hears that news, it's a boy, you're devastated. Your boy is gone. Your boy is thrown into the Nile and he's going to die. What's supposed to be this awesome day can just be an absolutely terrible day because of the type of oppression that you're facing. Also, they're experiencing spiritual slavery. We see this most in uh, chapter 4, verses 22 through 23. And um, then you shall say to Pharaoh, this is what God says, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me, that he may worship me. Moses keeps asking Pharaoh when he goes before him, Hey, can you just let us go? Let us go out into the wilderness to, to offer sacrifices and worship our Lord. And, in verse, uh, and then Moses like, well, or Pharaoh's like, well, why don't you do that? And then chapter 8, Moses says, well, we can't. We can't offer these sacrifices because they're an abomination to the Egyptians. We can't, we can't do that. So they're not allowed to worship their God. And so this is the situation that Israel, the people, are in. Right? They're slaves being oppressed. And all of this, because of what's happening, this builds up into what, what God says that he is going to do. And so we're going to kind of look to it as we get to chapter 6. So in um, <clears throat> chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, is what it says. It says, during those days, the kings of Egypt died, and the people groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and, and God heard they're groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Right? Notice, notice here in, in chapter 2, it doesn't say actually even who Israel cries out to. It just says they cried out. But it does tell you who heard that cry. God heard it. God saw, and God knew. And in chapter 3, it says that very similar things about what, uh, what's going on. That God saw, God heard, he knew. So then uh, chapter 3, verses 7 um, through 8 says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard <clears throat> their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So God, he, he hears, he sees, he knows. And then in, in verse uh, 6, this is kind of like God saying, hey, this is what he's, I'm going to promise to do. So chapter 6, verse 2, it says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Right? So if you're looking at the book of Exodus, when God says, I am the Lord, that's who's at work. That's who we're seeing in this book. And when God says, I'm the Lord, all of this is God showing you, and this is who I am. This is what moves me. This is what motivates me. Verse 3, I appeared to, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but, my name, uh, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, 
the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard, again, he says it again, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I remembered my covenant. I brought, I brought you know, that means it's kind of like he brought it to the forefront of his mind. Say, therefore, um, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptian, and I will deliver you from, from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Right? God, God is the one who sees. God is the one who hears. God is the one who knows. And because God is, is hearing and seeing all of these things, God is the one who's going to intervene. God is going to act on behalf of those who are oppressed. And so even just as you're reading this, what is motivating God? What is moving God? It is because of the slavery and the suffering that they are experiencing. God, he sees that. He hears that. He knows that. He is taking notice of their oppression, and God is very concerned about it. He will not turn a blind eye to what is going on. And he is totally against it. And so God wants to make real change in real people's lives, in their real situations. Again, notice when, when you, know, if you go back and read through this, just notice how all of these things that they're experiencing, God counteracts it. The, the ways that they're experiencing slavery. So political slavery, God says, hey, I'm going to make you a new nation. Economic slavery, hey, you're working a land that's not your own. God says, I'm going to give you a land that will be your own. Social slavery, the, the final and most devastating act of the plagues is the death of the firstborn. Right? Pharaoh says, I'm going to do this. And God says, no, that's not how it's going to go. The Passover, even just as God institutes that, and they do that for, they, Israel practices and re- remembers the Passover, that reminds them this, of the social and family nature of God bringing them to freedom. Also, look, th- this is something that's, that's pretty neat. Um, <clears throat> it never mentions Pharaoh by name. It just calls him Pharaoh. And Pharaohs, that was such a big thing. They wanted to be uh, memorialized, to be remembered for who they are and, to, and for their name to be known throughout generations. That's, I mean, that's why all they built the pyramids and all these different things, so that their name would be remembered. God never mentions this guy's name. But who are the two names that he does mention right off the bat? He mentions the names of the, the midwives. Right? Pharaoh wanted to destroy life. But these midwives are like, no, we're going to actually protect life. God remembers them, but I don't care about his name. It even says that God is good to them. Later, when Israel is established as a new nation in relationship to God, the, the sanctity of life and, and just social justice are key elements in God's law. Hey, this is how you need to actually be just, be merciful. If you want to be my people, this is what it looks like. That shows us what God cares about, what moves his heart. People. These are people that bear the image of God, people that God created. I mean, in today's world, you know what Israel is at this time? Nobodies. Just a small group of slaves in a faraway land. And God says, but I hear you. I see. And I know. And I'm not standing by just doing nothing. I'm going to intervene. I'm going to act. This is good news, guys. Just as God knows, 
I mean, even, even, yes, God knows and he hears these troubles that are happening in Israel, but we know that the same God that heard that then is the same God who hears us now. We get to cry out to our God, and I know that whenever I cry out, God is a God who hears me. God is a God who knows the situation that I'm going through. He sees me, sees what is going on around me, and that he legitimately cares about those things that are unjust, those who are oppressed, those things that just aren't right. Right, and, and, and I know that this is good news because I don't, I don't have to just be kind of some good Christian and just think nothing of real problems and just let, oh, hey, it doesn't affect me. Just, just let things bounce off of me. No, that I can cry out to God. And yeah, maybe God won't fix everything the way that I want him to, but I know that God cares about all aspects of life. And here in Exodus, God is acting out of who he is, his character. And maybe some of you are wondering today, man, how do, like, yeah, I see it that God, he sees what's going on with Israel, but how do I really know that God sees, sees me, that he cares about me right now, today? If you're ever wondering that, man, does God really want to intervene into my life? Does he really care about me? Just keep looking, man. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. If, God, if God's saying, hey, I'm going I'm to withhold nothing, I'm going to give you my son, and he's going to die and pay the price for your sin that you actually need to pay, man, if, God, if God's like that, then God surely sees other things in our life and is willing to, to listen and to hear us and care about us in those things, right? We see the, God, the heart of God here in, in, in Exodus, but also what this means for us is, okay, if this is God's heart, and we're God's people today, then that needs to be our heart, right? If, if God cares about real life, real problems, slavery, oppression, those who can't fend for themselves, those who are being afflicted, then man, I need to care for people and love for people in real tangible ways. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But he says, and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says you can't separate these things. If you love me, you'll love other people. You can't just pick and choose which one you want to do. You need to, we're to show people love and to actually care about them, their physical needs. 1 John 4 says that we cannot love God and hate our brother or sister. If you don't love people, we can't love God. And if you're a follower of Christ, we should be the most passionate people about things in this world that are unjust. We should be those that are the most committed to acts of mercy and justice, fighting for those who are oppressed. We should be the most generous people on the planet, not, not only because God, God has been so not only just because that is the heart of God, but because we are the people that have received that kind of mercy from God. God intervened in my life. God saved me. God rescued me. Why? I want to people to see that amazing, beautiful heart of God because he's changed me. That is the people that we are to be, showing other people who God is. This is what Psalm 145, 9 says. It says, the Lord is good to all. Not just those that think like you, 
that act like you, that think that, man, hey, that's exactly the kind of people that God likes. It says the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. We cannot neglect loving people in real ways. Not only do, when we neglect that, not only do we miss out on the heart of God, but so do they. They're not seeing how amazing God is, his loving heart and his compassion for them. I mean, like, get this, get this. Today, this time tomorrow, this time Thursday, you can show somebody the heart of God, right? Like you can show somebody the love and compassion of the creator of the universe by just loving them, by sacrificing certain things for them to be present with them, to help them in a time of need, right? That's the heart of our God, and we see that here, that he's freeing people from slavery, people that are oppressed, but he's also freeing them, not just from slavery, from Egypt, but he's also freeing them to God. So that's the second point, is freedom to God. He's being, Israel, the people of Israel that are there in Egypt, they're being freed from Egypt, their old master, but they've now been called to a new master, to a new God, the true and living God. And, and the Lord freed them outwardly, first by his mighty hand against Egypt, but now he seeks to free them inwardly, to give them his law. Hey, this is how you can have relationship with me. This is how you could come back to me when things are messed up. And again, in case you're wondering one thing, as just as a side note, if you're reading through, through Exodus, notice when God gives them the law. Is it before they started like doing amazing things? God gave them the law after he freed them. Right? It's not because of how awesome you are, Israel, or because you're obeying me. I'm going to free you because that's who I am. And so he's, he's freeing them so that they can know him. Look at uh, chapter 6, verse 7. So again, he started saying, hey, I'm going to deliver you. And then verse 7, he says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from, from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I want you to notice in, in, here in chapter 6, notice all the things that God says that he's going to do and the things that God says that he will make happen. So in verse 6, these are just a couple things. Like, I will bring, I will deliver, I will redeem. Verse 7, I will take you, I will be your God. Verse 8, again, I will bring, I will give. God is the one who is at work here. God is the one who is freeing them. This is happening by his power, his doing. Notice what Israel has to do in this. It says it in verse 7. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Right? That's it. Man, you want to know your part in this, Israel? To know me. To know God. That's awesome. Right? God's, this is all, like God is telling them the, the different things over and over again. He's just telling them, hey, I'm the Lord. There is no other. He also is reminding them, hey, you're my people. He calls them his son. God is freeing his people to himself. And so this, Exodus is not merely just about people being freed from slavery. That, that, that is a definite huge part of it. We just talked about that. But the purpose that God has of, of bringing Israel out from that oppression is to not just bring slaves out into the wilderness. He's redeeming worshipers, reclaiming worshipers so that they can know him. 
so they could be restored to their proper Lord. And really, that's what true freedom is, to know and to worship God. I mean, this is what Jesus says in John 17, 3. He says, now this is eternal life. You don't know what real life is? This is what it is, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. If you want real freedom in your life today, it's not by you getting to do everything you want or having the kind of job that you want or having enough money that you want or having a cooler boss or you being the boss. That's not true freedom. True freedom, true life, eternal life is to know the true living God, Jesus Christ. And so in, in Exodus, that's the emphasis of the story, that God is not merely intent on liberating these slaves, but bringing out his people to know him. God is not just trying to get them out of Egypt, but to get the Egypt out of them. And I know that might sound a little weird, but like he's trying to get that, that idolatry, that, hey, you're, you're constantly turning to other things to other idols, things that you're putting on as equal to me or even more important than me, you keep turning away from me because you've become like the Egyptians and that you're really, I mean, they, again, they don't cry out to God first thing. They just cry out, right? And actually over and over in the time, they keep, it changes who they keep crying out to. Then they cried out to Pharaoh. And God says, man, you need to look to me alone that I am God. In, in, in Acts 7.39, Stephen, he's giving this, this speech uh, to the Sanhedrin, to the religious leaders, and um, he says that, that the people of Israel, he says that in their hearts, after they were freed, in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. Later on, when they actually do get out into the wilderness, God does all these mighty acts and everything, then they make a golden calf and start worshiping it. That's messed up. Like, that's not a good day, Right? I don't know what goes through your brain. I mean, I'm sure it was some sort of cultural thing, but like, oh, mighty cow. Like, I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm just like, what? Right? But, but, but like, God's like, man, I need, to, I need to get you out of Egypt, but I need to get the Egypt out of you so that you can really experience life in me. So he freed them so that they can worship, them, worship him so that they can know him. And for, for you today, the greatest need, the greatest joy that you can have is to knowing Christ. It isn't mainly about you getting the kind of life that you want, but to genuinely know Jesus, your Lord and Savior. I mean, and just a question is, I mean, do you really know God? Do you really know Jesus? I mean, not, not kind of know him, not, not, not just kind of agree to some things and intellectually like, yeah, that, that's sure, that's true. But I'm saying, today, do you know Jesus? And I, and I want you to notice, just like in Exodus, they didn't come to know all of who God is because of how awesome they were, because of all the things that they'd done. Again, God says, I will do this, I will do this. And it's true for us today. We don't come to know Jesus because, of, because hey, man, we just, we just do awesome things and we act and behave the right way. We come to know Jesus Christ because he died for us, because of what he's done for us. He paid the price for our sin. He's saved us. He's rescued us. It's totally by his grace. And if you don't know Jesus today, if, you, if you're like, man, I really don't know Christ. I haven't, I haven't trusted in him. I haven't given my life to him. Man, don't think that it's, by anything that you can do or being good enough or going to church enough 
or just because you haven't done some really bad things. It is totally because of what Christ has done for you. So my encouragement, man, man there's, just look to him, turn to him. Trust in Christ. Maybe, maybe you do know Christ today. Maybe you've been following him for a long time. Is he really at the center of your life, the center of your affections and your worship? What, what, are, what are some ways, maybe kind of like the Israelites, God needs to intervene, not to get you out of that situation, not to get you out of Egypt, but to get the Egypt out of you, to get that, that sin, that idolatry out of you? What are some ways that you're just honestly, it's like, hey, I do know Christ, but I'm not experiencing spiritual freedom today. You know, maybe what's some ways that you're maybe just given over to sin? And man, you just can't seem to kick it. You can't seem to confess it. Maybe what are some things that you're elevating to be equal or even above God in your love and your, your worship of your life? What do you just need to repent of to turn away from and to surrender to God? Maybe, maybe you just need to remember that God really is the one who saves you. And you just need to rest in his grace. Maybe, maybe you really know the gospel, but if you're being honest with yourself, you're not really believing it this today or this past week, this past month of just, man, God saves me. God makes me right. Not myself. God loves me with the love, even just as, as Jeremy was talking about, the love that I can't even totally comprehend because it's so big for me. Maybe you just need to remember that real freedom in life is in knowing Jesus. Paul says in Philippians 3, he says, man, I consider everything garbage to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Right? Do you, man, do you just remember that. We could get so busy just running after this, running after that. And you're just remembering like, gosh, man, life, true life is found in just knowing Jesus. I just need to spend time with my Savior. And so he frees them to God to, to know them. And so Exodus, it shows us the heart of God, you know, that he cares for people, the oppressed, the afflicted. And then he, and his heart for people to know him, to be saved for them. And again, for us today, we need to be shaped by God's heart. And, 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 you know, if we look at Exodus and we think, oh, hey, this is really just only about, you know, freedom, spiritual freedom, and, and hey, it's, just re it's really just about spiritual things, then we miss out on what moves the God of God. We, we, don't, we can't read Exodus or even the Bible and think that, hey, physical or social oppression was some minor thing to God. And that God really only did this stuff just to, you know, it's like, well, hey, I got to free them out of Egypt so, so they could worship me, but really no big deal. I, if I didn't have to mess with that, I wouldn't have to, right? That, that, the text doesn't allow us to, to think that about God, that those things, that their lives, those aspects of their lives are minor things. It continues to say that God hears their cries, that he sees their sufferings. God knows. And God is not okay with that, just being some kind of, inactive bystander of that. He doesn't turn a blind eye to those things. 
Not then and not today. And neither should we as people that are followers of Christ. We can't turn a blind eye to, to, to oppression, to injustice, to slavery. To things that just are not of God. <clears throat> God intervened then and we should be doing the same now. I mean, God says, hey, I'm sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh. And today he's saying, hey, I'm sending you, church, my church, into this world to make a real difference. To show people really what I care about and who I am. And if that some other person in, the, in this community, in this country, is thinking like, man, does God even really care about this? And he's like, yeah, I'm sending you city light. I'm sending you these people to show you that I absolutely am not okay with that. Because if we start to only become concerned with spiritual things and just like, hey, all I need to do is just kind of share the gospel and for people's sins to be forgiven, then we're kind of just showing we're fine having a pretty comfortable and privatized faith that actually cares really little for others. Right? Oh, hey, don't go to hell, but I don't care about you right now. Right? This is what author Christopher Wright said. He says, one can be a Christian on the way to heaven, and even make a virtue out of paying little attention to the physical, social, and <clears throat> or international needs and crisis of others. When we do that, we have little prophetic or gospel relevance to society today. God doesn't turn a blind eye to suffering, neither should we. Right? He cares deeply for the whole person. Right? But also, we need to see that we don't... Yes, we want to care for people, we want to love them in real tangible ways, but man, they need to know Jesus. We need to be pointing them to, to the biggest need of the human heart, and that's Jesus Christ. If we, if, if we, if we don't think that the people in our, our workplaces, in the nations, in our neighbors, if, if we're just kind of thinking like, well, hey, they're fine because they're a nice person, and hey, they don't really need Jesus then we forget the amazing thing that Jesus has done in our lives, that he saved us from our sin. Or to just even just, we've forgotten the amazing thing that we know the living God. Man, and my neighbor, my coworker, this person, my family member, man, I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know their Savior. God, God didn't save you just so you could be a nice person. Right? I think sometimes to, in today's world, we think that that's what Christian, being a follower of Jesus is. It's like, I'm nice. And, and that's good. I mean, like, I don't want you to be a jerk. <laughs> but your, the biggest need of your coworker isn't for you to be nice. The biggest need for your coworker is to know Jesus. And so in our lives, we both show the love of God through sacrificing things of ourselves, serving others, helping others in need, listening to others, not being so concerned about ourselves, but we also share the love of God in saying, hey, this is the good news. This is the gospel message. I mean, in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, hey, he doesn't say, hey, you'll be my, now my nice people. He says, you'll be my witnesses. You will share, you'll proclaim who I am and what I've done, that I've paid the price for sin and I've risen again. And God, God actually, even here in Exodus, he sent the plagues, he split the Red Sea. He del God delivered these nobody slaves from the world's greatest empire at that time so that the world may know God. 
God says that over, I'm doing this so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Not just so that you, Israel, will know me, but so that everybody will know me. Egypt's biggest problem wasn't trying to hold on to their slaves or building pyramids or any of those things. Egypt's biggest problem is they needed to know God. And God's like, I'm even doing this through you. Through you, Israel, and even these, these afflictions that actually now Egypt's experiencing is so that they can turn to me, so that they can know me. And today, that's what, how we get to live this out, showing people the heart of God, to, even just by declaring the gospel message that, man, hey, I know this might not be awesome, but you're messed up, man. You're a sinner, and you're lost, and you're dead, you're separated from God, but hey, it's not about you cleaning yourself up. Jesus intervened. Jesus came down, and he paid the price for your sin. And you can know him just by the, you can know this a love that, that, again, surpasses understanding because of what Christ has done for you, that he saves you by his grace. You get to proclaim that to the world. And, and you know, now as I say these things, you know, if I'm like, hey, guys, um, hey, we, we, we need to be like God's heart. We need to fight injustice, love others in real tangible ways, serve them. Or, hey, guys, you know, just like God was so motivated for other people to know them, we need to be motivated uh, for other people to know him. And we need to, to share the, the gospel and we need to, to tell others about Jesus. I think, you know, probably all of you are like, man, I want to be like that. But that's really hard. Ricky, man, hey, thanks, but oof. Tomorrow, that sounds difficult, right? And I get that. I mean, loving others in real tangible ways, that's hard because I'm selfish. I'm like, man, do I really want to sacrifice all this time, energy, finances to help you in your time of need? Not really. I'd rather someone help me out in my time of even comfort. Give me a gift card. <laughs> uh, it was in notes. Um, <laughs> but I do like gift cards. Um, <laughs> Right? But like, that, that, that's my natural way. It's like, I'm thinking about me. And I, I want others to think about me. I don't want to think about others and help them. Or even like t- telling people the gospel and sharing with them about Christ. I mean, hey, Ricky, isn't it so easy for you because you're a pastor? No, sometimes like, that's even harder. It's like, hey, what do you do for a job? Eh, pastor. Oh, I'm going to stop cussing now. You're like, that's eh, fine. <laughs> you know? I mean... <clears throat> Why? Because it's like, well, man, sometimes just telling people about Jesus, that, that can feel uncomfortable. I feel like I'm getting out of my comfort zone. What are they going to think? What if I feel all these things of rejection? You know, and when it comes to like Exodus and we're seeing this heart of God and we're, we're seeing, hey, God, God is motivated by people's real life and God is motivated by, to give them real life to, to know Christ and we want to be like that. I mean, one, we just go to God and say, God, I just need you. Give me strength in this to do this. But I mean, the other thing is that we keep looking at the heart of God. Man, God, not only did you do this for Egypt or or for the the Israelites in the land of Egypt, but you've done this in my life. We keep remembering of the amazing things that God has done. Man, God, you help me know you. God, you listen to my cries. God, you intervene in this world. God, you've done this for me, and, and, like, and we always keep looking at the heart of God. I mean, that's why we even gather on Sundays. That's why we sing these songs, because we want to see God. That's why we encourage you guys to get into community, into city groups. Man, hey, let's, be, let's look at who God is and be shaped by him. 
We want that heart of God. And so we keep looking to Christ for that, to shape us. Guys, this is such good news that we see here in Exodus. Man, that God is this God who hears, sees, he intervenes in, in real life situations. But also we see that God has just that same God that had the power to overthrow the Egyptians back then. He has the same power to empty the tomb. And he has the same power to save us today to save your neighbor, to save your relative, to save you today. That same God has that and says, hey, I'm going to defeat sin and death. I'm going to defeat it all so that we can know that he is the Lord and there is no other. And today we get to celebrate just together as a family, to, to just even be reminded of the amazing, beautiful heart of God. And we get to take communion today. We get to take this bread that represents his body that was crucified, that was broken for us, and we dip it in the, the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us. And we get to just remember, yes, this is my God. This is my Savior, the one who died, who paid the price for me, who's freed me from sin, not because I've done anything, not because I've, I've earned it, not because I'm so lovable or any of those things, but because that is the heart of God, the one who intervenes and comes to rescue people and free people to know him. And so I'm just going to pray, and then, you know, uh, you know, when you're ready, you could come up through the middle and take the bread, dip it in the juice, um, and then, yeah, just celebrate communion. So let me pray.